Good morning. Scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 16, or on page 9 of your worship folder. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are preaching about the Holy Spirit. We're going through a series uh, until we get up to Easter about the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and how he empowers us to live our life in Christ. And if you were here last week, uh, we talked about the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament. Um, by the way, ghost goes better in those, in those lyrics. <laughs> Saying Holy Spirit would be awfully hard there. However, the new lyrics that were added at the end does say Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and what the Holy Spirit brings. And we see in that that the Holy Spirit is an agent of creation and a sustainer of creation. We saw that it's a builder of community and in particularly drawing out God's people. And then we recognize that the Holy Spirit comes upon those who God desires the Holy Spirit to come upon, empowering them to do amazing things for God. Uh, now, those things might not be amazing looking, but they're amazing because they're outside of who they are. And God has brought that gifting to them through Holy Spirit to do that. Uh, the first three sermons, so last week, this week, and next week, are a lot about introduction. And, and the reason why I feel like we needed to spend about three weeks on introduction is because we neglect the Holy Spirit quite a bit. Um, now, some other churches will focus a lot on the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I would dare say that some of them focus on an experience of the Holy Spirit more than an understanding or a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And so what we want to have is both of these things going on. We want truth that comes to us through Scripture, letting us know who Holy Spirit is. And at the same time, we want to know that experience happens with the Holy Spirit. That there is a moment when Holy Spirit is there that comes upon us, that, that moves us, that is an experiential thing. And our lives are changed. When you move from a place of unbelief, and let me just say, I hope that there are people here who are in a place of unbelief. But the Holy Spirit can move on you and move you to belief. And that's an experience. Because you've moved from knowing something to knowing something new. And we don't do that just by intellectual assent. It just doesn't happen that way. It happens through an experience. Something happens with all of who we are. All of every bit of our humanness. Our gut. Our heart. Our physical being. Our emotions. And our mind. And that's important for us to know. Because when we come to what the Holy Spirit is doing and how Holy Spirit is active in this particular person, 
in the person of Jesus, it's ultimately important for us to remember that this great mystery of the Trinity is that the Son, being sent from the Father, becomes 100% human. That's a hard concept for us to grasp with. If you are someone who's not quite sure about this Christianity thing, I can completely understand why it would be difficult to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. So God becomes 100% man. So now, who's up in heaven then, right? Like, who's sitting on the throne if he's down here? And you're talking about this trinity, this dance, this mystery of three in one. Yep. Yeah. But for those of us who are in Christ, who are following after Christ, I think we discount the incarnation quite a bit in, the, in our own ways of engaging with it. I, I think we look at, at the, the incarnation and we hear about Jesus becoming 100% man, and we go, yes, but in our hearts and in our minds, we go, probably 95%. Maybe 50%. I mean, certainly he was 100% man. Like, he slept, and he ate, and he used the bathroom, and his fingernails grew, and his hair grew out. Maybe it fell out. Wishful thinking. But he was also God. Like, so he was never surprised. Everything, he knew what was going to happen. So that's really not like a human And so it's difficult for us to engage with Christ outside of going, yes, Jesus is my Savior. He came, he performed miracles, he died on the cross, he rose again, and he's my Savior. But I think God, the Trinity, the one who through Holy Spirit uh, and the spoken word of Jesus created all of the world, the one who caused community to be built about his people and empowered them to do the things that he wanted to do. This God recognized and realized he needed to come as a 100% representative for us in order for us to be able to be in whole truth, right relationship with him. That it was broken. And the only way forward was to have someone and the only someone that it could be was himself. But in order to do that, that person had to be 100% human. And still God. So how did that happen? In Philippians 2, 6-8, through 8, Paul tells us this great mystery. Now, it's in a place where he's uh, talking about how our spirit should be like Christ. And so if you have a Bible that's in front of you, or if you have uh, a device that pulls that up, why don't you go ahead and turn there, and we're going to start with that, and we're going to come back to this and end with it. But jump into Philippians chapter 2. So if you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. This is talking about Jesus. It says, Who being in the very nature of God, or being God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, 
being made in human likeness or becoming man and being found in the appearance of man he humbled himself to become obedient to death even death on the cross now this is an important passage for us as we begin to engage with the gospels and looking at how holy spirit is active in the life of jesus because the first thing we have to set in our minds is that Jesus, when he comes, is human. He's divine, but he's human. He is walking in 100% humanity. The passage that Andrea read is Jesus' baptism. And that's found in all four of the Gospels. Some shorter, some longer. Matthew says what he says here. Luke and John add that it's his my son in whom I am well pleased, that it is the Son of God, pointing out. And so we can look at that and go, this is the anointing of Jesus. This is Jesus having the Holy Spirit come upon him, just like you and I might have that happen. The danger in that is we can run the risk of moving into what's called adoptionism. It's that Jesus was 100% man, and then, at some point, God decided to make him divine. And so he puts the Holy Spirit in him for a period of time so that he can be holy and divine. And then the Holy Spirit leaves at his death. A big churchy word that we would use for that is heresy. <laughs> A non-churchy word is to say that's inaccurate and it misses the front end of the story. If you keep your hand or, or, or you can get back, toggle back to it quickly to that Philippians, can I read to you two passages? One from Luke, which is from Mary's perspective, and one from Matthew, which is from Joseph's perspective. Both of them are found in the first chapter of those books. So first Luke 1, 26 through 35, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this may be. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him his, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then Matthew 1, 18 through 21, it says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, that's a euphemism there, means before they were intimate with one another, she was found to be pregnant through the, through the Holy Spirit. 
because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So we recognize that it's not at the baptism that Jesus becomes filled with the Holy Spirit. But in fact, from the very point of conception, it is announced and said that Jesus is the Son of God because of the Holy Spirit coming upon the Virgin Mary and impregnating her in a way so that she gives birth to the Holy One of God. And so the Holy Spirit is active in bringing about this 100% human being. Now, the interesting thing about this is Jesus would only have female chromosomes because no man was involved in this. You have to have a man and a woman to have a man and woman chromosomes in that birth, in that fighting hour. So she should have only had a girl. But she doesn't because the promise is that through the Holy Spirit she will have a Jesus. That's how moving the Holy Spirit is. That's how powerful the Holy Spirit is. That the Holy Spirit comes and says, this is what's going to happen. God promises it. He recognizes in order to solve the problem of sin, I must be the representative. But to be the representative, I can't be God walking around on earth. I have to be 100% human. But I'm not going to lose my relationship that is this beautiful dance of the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit will always be involved with Jesus. The Holy Spirit is present and active from the point of conception. And then we see, as we read earlier and we talked about just a moment ago, that then at the baptism, some 30 years later from this birth, Jesus comes to be baptized, and it's at that moment that everyone around, John the Baptist in particular, sees what looks like a dove descending. It doesn't say it's a dove, it says in the appearance of a dove. Is the Holy Spirit anointing Jesus, saying this is the Messiah. Remember, anointed means Messiah. So when that happens, everyone who is present is going to look at that, if they're following the Jewish tradition, and they're going to say, something is going on here. John can't help it, and he proclaims it to be so. He looks at it and says, this is amazing. If you flip over in your Bibles uh, to John, um, I, I just John the Baptist telling the story is pretty amazing here. So it's John chapter 2. I mean, John chapter 1, starting in verse 29. And it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man is coming after me who surpasses me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And John gave this testimony. 
I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So we see and we recognize that the Holy Spirit's activity with Jesus is from conception and then through his growing up, Hebrews 9 reminds us that he grows in stature during that time. And that stature and that wisdom can only come through the Holy Spirit. And then he gets to his baptism and his anointed, getting ready to go off into ministry. Luke reminds us that right after this, the Holy Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness. Directing his path. So that he's tempted and in those temptations relying on the truth of God's word. Resting in who he is because of the Holy Spirit that's in him. He's able to defeat all of those temptations that come his way. And then right after that in Luke 4, 14 through 21 it says this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And the news spread of him. Throughout the whole countryside. And he was teaching in the synagogues. And everyone praised him. And he went to Nazareth. Where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue. As was his custom. And he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Was handed to him. And unrolling it he found a place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone, now isn't that a great sermon? Oh, yeah. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Matthew 12, 28 reminds us, but it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, he says. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What had happened in that story is the Pharisees had seen him driving out some demons and they said, oh look, the devil's driving out the devil. And that's where Abraham Lincoln, Jesus quotes Abraham Lincoln there, where he says a house divided won't stand against itself. Abraham Lincoln's an American president. He said that during the Civil War. And people thought, oh, Abraham Lincoln said that? He didn't. Jesus said that. A house divided can't stand together. If you're a demon, can't, devil can't cast out demons. So I'm doing that. And how am I doing it? By the Spirit of God. Everything Jesus does as a 100% human is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That because he is 100% human, he must have the Holy Spirit working with him, within him, outside of him, to bring about God's purposes, much like we saw some folks in the Old Testament. However, the difference is this. They are both the hands of God. Jesus, the 100% human, is the right hand, and the Holy Spirit is the left hand of God the Father, working about in the world to bring about. So they're all still part of the same body, or non-body. 
depending on how you think about God. Abraham Kuyper is a Dutch theologian, politician, and all sorts of other things. And he said this once. In Christ, assuming the weakness of humanity, not the sinful weakness, because Jesus did not sin. He didn't have the same proclivity to run headlong into temptation. We see that in the wilderness. He sees temptation, recognizes what it is, calls forth the truth of the word of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and is able to deny that temptation. You and I, however, have a little bit harder time with that. In Christ, assuming the weakness of humanity, not the sinful weakness, he needed the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable his weakened nature to be an instrument in working out of God's holy design. Peter tells us in Acts, as he's preaching to the people in Cornelius' house, that he's just been called there after he saw this dream of these unclean foods coming down in, in, a, in a, a blanket and God saying, yeah. And Peter like, oh, those are unclean. I shouldn't do that. And God says, eat up. And then Cornelius comes and gets him. And he goes to Cornelius' house and he says this in a sermon to them. Then Peter began to speak. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel. Announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea. Beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. And just to drive the point home just a little bit more, that this 100% human Jesus, who is divine all at the same time because of the working of the Holy Spirit that is within him. Charles Pinnock in his book, Flame of Love, which is about the Holy Spirit, reminds us it was the Spirit that Jesus was, it was in the Spirit that Jesus was conceived, anointed, empowered, commissioned, directed, and ultimately raised up to new life. And he was the Son of God who none, nevertheless emptied himself to live in solidarity with us, becoming as dependent on the Spirit as any of us. Both of God's hands in tandem, working together to accomplish God's plan. So Jesus, walking in the Holy Spirit, reminds us and shows us that God love, God's love for his creation is so great that he becomes one of us in order to make us whole. To return us to the relationship he intended for us to have from the very point of creation. And in Jesus, he makes a way for us to do that. 
He sets the example for us how to live. And he provides the means for us to accomplish this great pursuit of the steadfast, loving God. So if you are here and you're wrestling with besetting sin, if you're here and you're thinking, how do I keep walking this life in Christ, in the world? Or you're here thinking, is it worth walking this life? I'm not even sure I believe it yet. Hear that in Christ, we have this beautiful example. But more than an example, we actually have a way to walk in a way that is pleasing to God, honoring who he's made us to be. Right? Not pleasing to God and then, oh, pleasing to God, but pleasing to God because as we step into who he created us to be, ultimately we are showing that he is the good creator. And he's made us to be those who strive for mercy and love and justice and truth. To stand strong in his holiness in order for us to be those who go into the world to bring healing. To keep what Jesus says in that passage in Luke, which is quoting Isaiah, which we used as our call to worship today. That we're empowered to do that as well. But it took something to happen. John 16, 7 through 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, but verily I tell you, it is for your own good that I go away. <laughs> Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And he says, I have more to say to you. More that you now can't bear. Like he's already blown their minds. How gracious. I could really blow your minds, guys, but I'm not going to do it. But when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, the thing that's kept this 100% man walking in his divinity, Comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. And he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. That ultimately... The Holy Spirit that is the thing that empowered and, and gave the ability for this 100% human to stay in touch with his divinity. And not just in touch, like this. Jesus promises it to us. And that's what the four sermons in March are going to really be about. Because we still need to look at the Holy Spirit through the rest of the New Testament before we get there. But can we go back to Philippians? 
as we recognize how glorious it is that this 100% man set the example, but more than that, provided the way for us to walk as those who can please a holy, righteous God. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 says, Who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Holy Spirit, make that true today. Let us be on our lips proclaiming that as only you can empower us to do. Amen. And amen. God, if there's something that is not for you in this sermon. Cast it from our minds. But whatever is from you, let it dig deep into our hearts so that we may hear and do what you have called us to do. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.